with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Three underground rap nerds walked into a bar. An argument ensued about who the goats are. The seed was a thought that would turn into a pod. Now fans worldwide say, not a bad job, the ad hoc cab squad who chronicles the vanguard of hip hop at large. Rap taste slacked off, don't need to be mad, dog. Look no further, it's the dad bod rap pod. Podcasting live from San Jose, California, it is the dad bod rap pod. My name is Damone Carter. I am joined by Nate LeBlanc, and we're actually in the same room in person. Yeah. <laughs> um, fun thing about recording on a holiday, it's uh 4th of July. Boo. Right. Um, uh, Damone's neighbor was having a party, so that just ruined our entire lives. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> Captain Say the Dim, Nate LeBlanc came through, uh, popped over to Nate's crib. Grateful to be here. And also joining us via satellite. Why does Dave look like he's like backstage at the Grammys? <laughs> <laughs> We're live here. Bruno Mars is shorter in person. Back to you, Damone. <laughs> I'm feeling a little left out, you guys. I know. And, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's it's good to, to see you there. Uh, how's it going? Good to man? be here. Uh, doing well. Um, unhappy fourth to you guys as well. I know. Yeah. It's nothing to celebrate at the moment. We like yeah. actively were like, maybe I could do something on Sunday, but I'm not doing anything on the holiday. Yeah. Right. Take that. Yeah. Totally. you know like they care totally uh, I'm, I'm just gonna drink my feelings tonight so. <laughs> as the founding slavers would have wanted um <laughs> all right so yeah good to be here with you guys uh yeah we're, we're not we're not participating in any official uh america celebrations but everyone we tried to book as a guest was yeah. <laughs> what is this rap cookout that's happening that we don't know, I know about? I know that must be happening in a cool city somewhere else, in right? America. Like Ghostface is making kill bosses and <laughs> <laughs> extra nutmeg. Yeah, exactly. Ghostface kill bosses. <laughs> we only want twelve percent. I actually have a very brief story about not that exactly, but you'll see where I'm going with it. We were uh, in Los Altos yesterday doing something with my parents, having lunch, and we went to Dragers afterwards. It's like one of the best it's like a beautiful supermarket it's like a supermarket for rich people so it's just like really okay. beautiful produce okay. great deli and meats and stuff i bought a beautiful uh flat iron steak and like you know some other assorted stuff but they had e40's ice cream did they the oh goon, wow goon. The go- <laughs> does anyone want to guess how much a pint of goon the spoon ice cream costs in los altos california in 20 dollars <laughs> a little lower than that <laughs> it was the most expensive one in the store 12 bucks you're close it was 1050 oh my god Denny's yeah. and van leeuwen which are other like extremely high-end high butter fat really excellent ice creams coming in around more like the nine dollar mark okay. which is a lot okay. for ice cream yeah and i was you know we were about a half hour away from home so i wasn't sure if buying ice cream was a good idea anyway i passed on it but lucia kept oh. being like just get it it's content for the show it like, really don't is don't you want to talk about it on yeah. the show and here i am talking about it on the show it's for free without without doing <laughs> oh, it free i feel, I, no, feel free 40. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like had you had some you would have been like ooh, yeah like as soon as you, <laughs> you guys be feeding each other right now with the, <laughs> <laughs> my spoon is full look at the dark clouds <laughs> nice damn it damn Los it going wild Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I'll get some eventually. I think feel like there's might be other uh spots where they're not like looking at it as like a sociological 
I wonder how much of that they move out there. I would, I, I would be probably surprised to know the numbers E40 does on this ice cream. Yeah, do they want like goon themed ice cream in this store? It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thuggy Road, like what is it? (laughs) (laughs) Magazine Street, the Southern Rocky Road. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Okay, okay. Does Snoop Dogg have an ice cream? He's got wine. I don't think he. I don't think he does. To be honest with you. Okay. Really. Yeah, I've never seen a Snoop ice cream. I've seen many of the wines. Yeah, nineteen which, crimes, that's right? True. The first yeah, one is yeah. adding so much sugar to the wine. Yo, <laughs> ouch, ouch. Uh, but yeah, when we're not eating uh, rapper themed ice cream or potato chips, have you guys seen that? Like a lot of rappers have potato chips. Rap snacks. Rap snacks. Yeah, I did one see thing. that. I did see that. What, a, what about Travis Scott makes you be like, mm, <laughs> I want to have <laughs> McDonald's flavored chips. Yeah, I want to have tortilla flavored Travis Scott. Yo, Bay Area heads, Bay Area adjacent heads, Northern Californians. It's your boy, Dem here. Just wanted to let y'all know about a gathering me and my folks are putting together on Saturday, July 16th. It's called Slapbox, a beatmaker's invitational and record swap. Slapbox is presented by the same folks who brought you the East Side Record Swap. Imagine SJ, Needle to the Groove SJ, and Dad Bod Rap Pod. We are going to have live beatmaking sets from Weezmatic of the Bangers, Tico, Mint Beats, and Some OK. There will also be a special performance by up-and-coming rapper by the name of Jake Gatsby. In addition to bringing together some of the illest button mashers in the area, we will also be hosting a record swap where vinyl lovers can cop fly shit from local wax purveyors. Come for the beats, stay for the breaks. It's Slapbox, Saturday, July 16th, 6 to 10 p.m. at the School of Arts and Culture in the heart of East San Jose. Did I mention this is a free event? Yeah, it's free. But the space is extremely limited. So go to bit.ly slash slapboxticks. That's bit.ly slash slapboxticks. Peace. Um, all right. So this is an episode that we're doing today that is actually a long time coming. Um, we are still working with a, a, a damage control agency about what happened with our Iron Man episode. <laughs> uh, and so we've, <laughs> we've come back to try to um, commemorate, celebrate an album that is all near and dear to us. Yeah, and we, is- we said we were going to do this once a year, then we did it once and everyone yelled at us. And I think we took three years off. <laughs> was that was Iron Man three years? I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yes, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, we we kind of got murdered on that one. Um, well, just to recap, we think Iron Man is very good, maybe not great, right. and there are some things we don't like about it, and that makes us idiots. Uh, pretty much, right? Pretty much right. across spectrum. Blasphemous. And, and uh, that episode in particular, I think, um, actually, in a way, was good for us because it got people going. Like, what is their problem? Right. Like, what what is this right. about? Right. Uh. So in that spirit, we'd like to unpack another Ghostface release that um, is near and dear to all of us. And that is Supreme Clientele. Um, on this episode, we've got an interview with Sash Ferrer Jones at the at the tail end of this. But um, we like this record more than Iron Man, right, Dave? Um, or I thought we were giving it three thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Galaxies away from Iron Man. I loved it way more. Yeah, same. 
Nate, what's your what's the distance that you put between Iron Man and Supreme Carnage? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, the distance between Park Hill and Stapleton Project. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I don't know oh. where those are. Um, the uh, it, it's one of the best rap albums ever made. Maybe one of the best music albums ever made. Yeah. So it's 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 totally. kind of lurks up above everything else. It's just one of my favorite musical documents of all time. It's incredibly meaningful to me and a lot of other people. And yeah. um, I think it really sets the tone for the kind of um, creativity we like to see in rap music. And it's just, it's just so well done. Oh, absolutely. Top to bottom. Uh, I, I concur with the bros. Just I wanted to get our mission statement out. In front. <laughs> uh, so we are not misconstrued. Uh, I, too, love Supreme Clientele. I think it's interesting that it came along in 2000 as if to yeah. kick off uh, a new millennium of rap. And we'll, we'll start by kind of unpacking how it hit us um, back then. What, what depresses me a little bit is that in 2000 i was still a grown person i was hoping that i had like a teenage story here but i really don't um i was a whole ass person but um i remember supreme clientele coming out and feeling like this is the most wu-tangy thing that had ever happened ghostface was kind of like unsheathed and Mm -hmm. just spitting like crazy shit to the extent where i'm like um i need a book or something i need something to unpack this i felt instantly kind of unhip because I could usually follow a record a lot easier than Supreme clientele is, is to follow at first. So to me, it was, it was great. It was a, a, a new thing. Uh, love the production. This is kind of one of the last gas with some of Riz's best stuff. And right. uh, I just remember trying to play it for some of the homies um, and then being very, very derisive. Uh, shout out to Smitty, my guy who's, who's good at being derisive. He was like, this is some of that butterscotch ski boots. <laughs> that was it. That was his. <laughs> So Dops, I was like, listen to this, listen to Nutmeg. And he's like, oh, this is some of that old butterscotch ski boots. I don't understand what that means, but it's <laughs> right. tight. It actually it, sounds like something Ghostface would say right, on Supreme right. Clientele. I, absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. absolutely. Smitty sniffed it out. He thought that was weird. He thought but, it was um, the buttercrunch joints. Yeah, the butter, exactly. The buttercrunch <laughs> joints. Uh, Nate, were you at the record store when this dropped? No, I okay. wasn't, to be totally honest with you. I was in college at the time, and okay. I was not like a show up on Tuesday when things were released kind of person at the Okay. point i just didn't have the money i wasn't tracking the industry in that way things just kind of floated to me when they floated to me but i got relatively or hip to it relatively quickly yeah um and once i found it i was pretty obsessed with it yeah from 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 the jump dave uh how did it how did it strike you upon first coming into contact with supreme clientele um i mean it came out in 2000 and at that point i was sort of you know, I was moving away from Wu-Tang a little bit. I mean, 2000, mm. it was like Stankonia and Deltron yeah. and Binary Star, um, yeah. even like the Jurassic 5 LP and shit like that. So I was sort of moving away from Wu-Tang. I was like, you know, they're a little played out uh, personally at that point. And then I revisited, you know, maybe a few, year, a few years later and obviously realized, you know, how unique of, a, of an album it is. Um, not, and like to Nate's point, like it transcends even Wu-Tang, I think. It's just such an uncanny recording uh, uh you know it's the album yeah. is pure energy really yeah and it's it was interesting because um unlike a lot of the wu-tang solo stuff uh this really had like a club hit on it i think this is what one of the aspects of supreme clientele that gets a little bit lost in the contemporary discussion because you know people glommed on to so many other things but uh shay shay la ghost was a pretty big fucking song i was still in the mobile dj scene at that time um, and the Slim Doodoo Makers stuff inside <laughs> the pajamas were, were, were going. Um, 
But it was it was interesting because that song was huge on like urban radio and and in the club scene. It had a video. Yeah, it had like a a full on Uh single that got worked and was successful. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was kind of a I think a high watermark. I'm not looking at um, Ghost's charts right now, but I'm I'm almost certain that's probably one of the bigger hits that he had. And so this was like a moment. It was kind of like oh, Ghostface is emerging um into the mainstream in this way uh, an area that pri- previously only meth had kind of touched of the mm-hmm. of the wu-tang kind of solo stuff um and it just really seemed like he was about to take over the world and he did but in a different way yeah uh, he kind of became like uh the high water mark for a completely different kind of rapper than mm-hmm. a mainstream rapper you know what right, i mean like, right I don't I don't think this album was particularly well understood. And I don't think that song fits particularly well on it. No, it's like, no, it's, it's totally. Let's make it. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit more um, as as we move on. But it, it's a cool song. It's actually a really uniquely weirdly structured song. Yes. It's a really weird beat. Yeah. Um, if you've heard the original record that it samples, they they um, took an interesting part of it. And yeah. it's just it's just it's a weird song like the it's hard to describe but it doesn't have the chaotic energy of that makes especially the beginning of the rest of this record so great yeah it's right, a totally right. different thing yeah totally, ab- totally. absolutely but uh dave i'm gonna i'm gonna put this to you best appointment of you god <laughs> on shay shayla ghost is this Oof. the most uh it might be i mean uh, i mean uh you know if we're if we're not counting 36 chambers but um it might be his finest hour besides that um yeah but we're all still making fun of it like 20 years later (laughs) 22 years later totally totally and we can get into this a little bit later but like i actually don't really like the guest features on this album i think it's really ghostface is the fucking star and uh how he navigates like all the different scenery um and you know uh, some of my favorite beats just looking back were rizza so it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's kind of cool that to see in 2000 when, you know, I was sort of um, discounting them already, um, you know, just sick of the Bobby digital shit and stuff like that. Um, yeah. It was yep. still it was still uh, excellent. Are, are you are you reevaluating Bobby digital um, at all in this era? How, how was RZA so good slightly. here? Why was how was RZA so good here and so off on Bobby Digital. I don't think he's so off on Bobby Digital. I think he's doing a thing and you either like that thing or you don't. I think Agreed. I'm the one of us, one of the three of us who will take some Bobby Digital in yeah. my life. Uh, I don't, I don't like, I didn't memorize it or anything, but like it's an interesting experiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think it left a, uh, like a bad taste in, you know, Wu Tang purist's mouth. Sure. Yeah, sure. But yes. I mean, almost it, maybe purposefully. Totally, totally. And, you know, I think um, I think looking back at what he did with Bobby Digital, even though I don't like the music that much, I think it was a bold move and a very creative one. It's like he had just done this genius thing, right, yeah. of like dick, branching everyone out. And then it's right. like his first major thing to do for himself after. Totally. Yeah. It, totally. it kind of fell flat. But it, if you look, it's like he thought so much about the artwork, the theme, right, the, right, right. he created a whole suite of music that sounded different from all the stuff he had just given to everyone else. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. mm-hmm. he really, really tried to do something different. He swung the bat really fucking hard. Totally, yeah. totally, totally. It didn't land for everyone, but like, you you, you know it, right? There's so many things that are forgettable. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not forgettable. It's no, like, no, once no, you've heard true. it, you're kind of like, that's damn, true. like RZA did his thing on that one. It was not a thing I preferred, but, but a thing. yeah, I can yeah. see the cover. I can hear yeah, the thing. Right. I can right. hear some of his weird word formations in his mouth. Totally. You know what I mean? Totally. And you so know, I, we're not 
Oh, sorry to cut you off. Um, when I interviewed him, I mean, a lot of those beats um, were the first time he like incorporated like him playing the keyboard and stuff, you know? Yeah. And yeah. just him as an artist, I know we're talking about Ghost rather than Rizzo, but just him as an artist, I mean, what is he going to do? Like use more Kung Fu samples? Like right. that shit yeah. must be boring him to death. Right. You sure. know? He, sure. he appeared to have hit a wall and kind of wanted to move on to the next phase. And I, th- mm. I think we talked about this on a relatively recent episode, maybe when we were talking about Tyler, like he got into the film scoring and that kind of turned out to be his thing where he got to be creative outside of the group. But I think he still wanted to make it as a solo rapper, like Prince Rakim's Revenge. You know what I mean? Totally, (laughs) totally. Yeah. Hey, to be one for three on like character incarnations is fine when when your one is the Rizzo, right? Totally. Um, And and, and maybe let's talk about that a little bit in the sense of the projection on this record, not exclusively Rizzo, but um, there are some simply like brilliant moments. Um, mm-hmm. And it's this interesting, slight updating of the Wu-Tang sound. Um, not terribly, like we talked about Wu-Tang Forever uh, very recently. And I was kind of struck by Riz's beats on here don't necessarily sound like Wu-Tang Forever. He had kind of moved right. Past it a little bit. What what is your your take on RZA's production on this? My on this take album? on it is it's RZA doing classic hip hop, like kind okay. of like Park Jam inspired. Mm-hmm. You can hear the turntables, you can hear the needle crackle, you can hear at times them pulling the record back. Yeah. Like it's they they got very like elemental about mm-hmm. like sample beat. Let's go. Leave the mistakes in yeah, and just yeah. like go going for it. Kind of like I don't know if their first takes they sound like first or second takes. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. the they sound like mm-hmm. things are just do like happening live. Possibly some substances. You know, it's just like let's just go and like the the that's that I think has something to do with why this has that crackling energy to it mm. the whole time. It's not just the lyrics, right? Totally, million percent. I think Riza. I mean, one of my favorite beats from the album is, um, and and song from the album is Child's Play, and that one. I mean, it to your point, Nate. It's like crackly, and it has like weird stuttering, like samples that like are all jutting the whole time. It it does it does sound like Wu Tang, but it also kind of just sounds like some shit like straight off the sampler, you know. And yep. it's really nice. Yep. Um, it's really nice. It does feel like one of those like one hot take albums, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it's a it's a type of energy that cats have sought to recreate i mean basically for the last 20 plus years right totally Uh, um and especially with uh nutmeg as an opener if if i were to think about a song that like really personifies the best of what rap is in 2022 um i i think about nutmeg i think if you take nutmeg out of let's say we erased it from the annals of history um that may be one of the most important rap songs of the last 20 years. I just, I can't get over it in terms of vibe and feel. Also not right. produced by RZA. Right. I, right. I was most surprised. But really find. sounds like it is. It's obviously in kind of from of. the school of. Yeah, totally, totally. Sounds like it was made by some Wu disciple anyways. Um, but I mean, like I said, I mean, the star of that is fucking Ghostface. I mean, verbal ballistics immediately. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he does something and they're not drumless beats but some of these things Nate to your point in that kind of like park jam back and forth style uh are I'm not gonna say under it there isn't as much emphasis on the drum especially if you compare it to Wu-Tang Forever um and even some of the earlier stuff uh there isn't as much emphasis on the drum a lot of times it's the flipping of this uh, amazing sample over and over and so I kind of feel like um that opened a, a gateway 
uh, for rappers. Like <laughs> it just it really did. But I want to I want to focus a little bit on the lyrical content here. We recently did an episode where we talked about um, cryptic uh, rap and uh, some folks. Right. When we asked a question on Twitter, what are your favorite songs that you don't really understand? A lot of folks pointed to stuff on Supreme Clientele, which I find interesting because I, I automatically go to like the cool Keiths and like, uh, you know, weirdo weirdos. But um, Nate, what is your take on is Supreme Clientele a, a narrative that we just don't have the antenna to understand? Is it just uh, verbal ballistics, as Dave said, kind of kind of what's your feel? Uh, I think that I kind of was thinking about this today. I like took a walk to the store and had it in my headphones for like the nine millionth time, but wanted to make sure I gave it a pass before we talked. And I, I think ghost is describing the hood and they had already described the hood so many times he ran out of plain ways to say it. So he started talking about what it feels like rather than what it looks like or smells like, or, um, you know, the, the basic ways to describe things he just like started it feel like you know like i don't know if you've ever looked inside of a pot of popping popcorn it's like there's like it's it's on the the before the kernels mm. pop and take those weird fractal shapes they start to shake yeah. they just this yeah. the, mm. the, the energy is just like inside of them and it had to be let out and i think that's what happened with ghosts he famously mm. wrote this on his friend's roof on one knee, you know, parts of it, and then went to yeah. a completely different environment. I don't remember exactly where and like I'm to do that annoying thing where I just say Africa when it's a huge country with sure, all sure. these different places. But he went to Africa, he got away from everything, he started seeing things differently. And I think he just he needed to relive some of this stuff and normal descriptive imagery was not getting him where he needed to be. These That's just a theory. Point. At, I don't. At, he's at never this, said that. Yeah, at that at this point in his in his career, I haven't already been a couple records in. Um, Dave, I'm gonna read you a tweet from a friend of the program, John Morrison, when uh, we asked a question about favorite songs that you like that you don't necessarily understand. People said Supreme Clientele. John took a little umbrage with this. I'm gonna have you respond to this, Dave. Uh-oh. Uh oh. At John Morrison. Can I just add that I think Supreme Clientele absolutely makes sense lyrically. I have a private theory that Ghost said that he was just saying shit because he either got tired of people asking him about it or he knows that most people are just committed to not understanding it, mm. which is a very interesting take. Dave, what, what say you? I think, um, you know, I actually interviewed Ghost. Uh, it was uh, for the cover of a Wax Poetics. I forgot which issue, probably like eight years ago or something. And he also was not a fan of um, Iron Man. And he considers Supreme <laughs> Clientele, just like us, he's not a fan of Iron Man. Um, <laughs> but he considers Supreme Clientele his first true um, solo uh, endeavor. And I feel like, um, you know, to Nate's point with the kernels crackling and ready to pop, I feel like he was just like, fuck it. I'm not doing anything for the label. Um, I just went through a bunch of shit. And these are almost like his thoughts unfiltered, I feel like. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we all know Ghost when it comes to storytelling is one of the most uh, brilliant ones, right? Yeah. And, and here it's like, he's just like, fuck it. Um, besides the song Child's Play, which is probably the most linear uh, writing on here, um, yeah. he, he's just going bonkers. And so to, to John's point, I, it's kind of hard to ever know like what, what's in an artist's mind, right? Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. can on, you, you can only sort of, um, analyze what is before you so um i don't know if i don't know if ghost is like just making that up that he um sort of just made everything up but it, it if it doesn't feel that way it just feels like he's just being unfiltered 
Damone, to you, a different question. Does it matter? Um, well, yes and no. I think it matters in the sense of the mystique around Ghostface um, is boldened by the idea that everything makes perfect sense. And uh-huh. it is you, the listener, who doesn't have the equipment to process it. Right. And if you feel like you are one of the listeners that really gets it, then you're kind of invested in wanting to feel like everything makes 100% sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do agree with you, Dave. I think these are, are thuggish streams of consciousness. Right, like right. He's, he's painting, he's throwing stuff at, at the wall at this incredible high rate. And as a rapper, I think one of his great innovations is um, the lack of transition. So mm-hmm. he'll just be mm-hmm. expressing one That's thought true. and just jump to another thought. And mm-hmm. like, you're not on- feeling the need to weed them, weave them together. together or right. To, like, how do I get to this? Just fucking do he it. He just yeah. goes, right. I mean, yeah. one of Ghostface's best attributes is the ability to, ability to be uncanny. And so yeah. if, you, if you look at his catalog, even as a whole, this one sticks out like a sore thumb in the best way. Like even, this is not any, not like any of his other albums. And, and yeah. you can sort of compare some of the tracks from like Sour Soul to like Pretty Tony or something or um, the, the Wizard, whatever, the Emerald yeah. Wizard album or whatever. I mean, right. uh, like there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of continuity between his stuff. But not nothing in his catalog, even amongst each other, sounds like Supreme Clientele. Absolutely not. And um, I think it's one of those things where rap is a relentlessly copycat sport. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but but with that being said, I feel like it took kind of years for for rap to kind of catch up to this. Um, yeah, I feel like the reverberations of the freedom granted by this being successful and revered. Mm-hmm. or have a huge influence on the kind of rap that we cover on the show and are into now. Yeah, for sure. Your Woods, your Lucid, your Milo, your all your Quelle Chris. Yep. Um if you take Doom and this yeah. and sprinkle in a couple of other different things, I think you get kind of the stew that we're all swimming in now, right? right absolutely. It's it's right. it's a language like uh like bop, right? Like where this this kind of high speed, I'm not going to I'm not going to worry about transitions or connecting the ideas and thoughts. Um, it's about the sounds and the, and the vivid language that comes out of your mouth and also about uh, how you create a certain type of character. So when we look at an action Bronson or we look at crime apple, the way that they tell their self narrative, even let's just set voice register and all that aside, the way that they set up a narrative, a lot of guys do this. I think um, a lot of the Griselda guys do too. The way you talk about yourself as the protagonist in this in this way um, really comes from Supreme Clientele. And to mm. your point, Dave, I feel like he never really doubled back here. I never. feel like it was such a feat. That... And, maybe, and maybe he cannot, you mm. know, maybe it was something that, uh, you know, captured, you know, just a moment of magic, which that's exactly what it sounds like. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he definitely kind of had that lightning in a bottle. It was a mm. great time. We all have to thank the creator that uh, some of these RZA beats were not lost in floods and fires <laughs> and the other plagues that uh, that that plague things. I was on uh, the questions making Illmatic podcast taped that. Oh, nice. A couple days ago. Nice. Um, and we were talking about <clears throat> Raekwon's immobilarity, which is a good kind of uh, corollary for Supreme Client. The so, second generation. Yeah, the, second, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. the second the second generation of albums. Raekwon supposedly had a bunch of beats that RZA made that were lost in mm-hmm. the flood that he wasn't willing to wait for RZA to recreate. And I don't know, y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Ghost uh, waited. 
and so he got some mm. other stuff. Ray drops a mobility, which is not a terribly memorable album. Uh, I, I want to be fair to Ray and go back to it, but I remember being bitterly disappointed by yeah. it when it came yeah. out. Um, and I, I always hold this album in kind of like the juxtaposition of where they both came from on um, on Cuban Links to uh-huh. um, to me, Supreme Clientele is the is not Cuban Links Part Two, but it's like a continuation. If you look at where rap is today, it's kind of like uh, Cuban Links mafioso cuban links gives you griselda and yeah. supreme clientele gives you the vanguard right mm, mm, mm. Yeah. uh what i think is interesting is how little raekwon is on this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like yeah. it's like yeah. i'm the i'm the co-pilot on your stuff but when it's time to make my i don't know any Ooh. of the politics around this or where people were in their lives but it's kind of interesting um that you know they they just he's uh, is he is there one verse is he on one that, of the posse I, cuts? Yeah, he's on one. Yeah, of oh, the he's posse on Apollo cuts. Kids, which is a, an amazing song. Yeah, oh, and they sound, on one song. Yeah, and they yeah. sound great together. Rapture but it's like not Z. like he was brought on to co-pilot, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but right. I, I think he's on Wu Banga too. Right? Is he? Okay, two verses. Yeah, yeah, which is my least favorite cut on here, actually. Uh, I think is is that the one where it's like kind of like the posse cut? And it has the good that good red man verse. No, um, that that's a uh, that is book fifty. Oh, but mm-hmm. no, this yeah, it, but this one is kind of the posse cut. I think Cabadonna's on it, Jizza's on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jizza, yeah. starts off. Yeah, and um, yeah, but for I just kind of hated Jizza's verse and just the way his voice sounded. Um, for me, yeah. this this sort of exemplified um how great he used to sound. Um, mm. Just the tone of his voice, right? Yeah. you know, I, I mean, thirty six chambers and of course liquid swords, but um. Yeah, Jizza like leads off on Wubanga. And I think we we're gonna like get into our least favorite cut later or whatnot, but um that one sort of stands out for me for sure. Well, uh let, let's talk about the features. Um, Dave, you made an interesting point that you you weren't in love with them. I think when I think about features on this record, my mind immediately goes to Buck 50 because it it has that um that concentric circle of Wu Tang Death Squad, of which Method Man is in the middle, right? Um, <laughs> and so we get we get a really quality Red Man uh, verse on Buck Fifty, and I I look at Supreme Clientele as almost some of RZA's last best rapping. Like mm. I'm down for RZA's rapping on this. He's it's again yeah. like he, yeah, you're yeah. never gonna like uh, include RZA's lyrics in like a letter to your wife, you know? Like it's not like <laughs> yeah, it's just like. It, it, but some of his lines are insanely memorable oh yeah yeah like you cannot get it out of your head once you get it in and uh for him to show up on here early and often as an mc yeah Yeah. is i i to me a very charming like part of what you're getting when you put it on Mm -hmm. it's not like i'm trying to use the forward button and skip around or edit things out it's like i'll I'll take it i'll take the whole thing yeah um and i do think he he says some things very memorably on here that are just no one else could have even come close. Chop the weave off of bets. <laughs> um, I mean, with RZA, it's like um, it's a lot of inflection, and um, I mean, th- this album. I mean, not not to keep using this word, but it's just ballistic. So I mean, he yeah. really he really matches the energy. I thought, and and I I guess what I was saying is like, and this album, I might be wrong, but it's kind of one of the last times he's doing that, right? Like at some point, he kind of he loses steam and, and isn't able to chop like this, but. On this record in particular, I remember being kind of blown away. Like, oh, RZA still has it. Like, he uh-huh. is still, uh-huh. Ghostface is rapping his ass off and, and RZA is, like, right there with him. Um, but you're right, Dave. Ghost is the star here. 
Dave, you're you're on a desert island. What three song sequence from this album are you gonna you're gonna have with you for the next twenty years? Man, you know, I would love to say one of the later ones because of the the track Child's Play, but um, I mean, the easiest one would be Nutmeg One and Saturday Night. I mean, it is the lead off of lead offs for mm-hmm. albums almost. I mean, yeah. Nutmeg in it by itself is just like you're yeah. doing push ups immediately. You know, yeah, like. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I, I would just say, like, how many answers are there for this? One. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because of where the skits are placed, it kind of fucks up the rest of the right. flows. Right. That's what I was okay. looking at. Okay. Like, totally. I was like, yeah, I mean, I do think the skits on this are pretty good, and I they are fairly memorable. Like the, you know, who would you f skit? I've always liked the song they're playing in the background. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. that mm-hmm. soul song where it's like, rain, rain, go away. So I got to look mm-hmm. up what that is, but. Um, I actually think the the one where the old crackhead is like bargaining with them is Clyde is, yeah. is pretty good. I yeah. like the my name is Knuckles yeah. one. Yeah. Like I, I like them. They're part of the record, but you kind of can't put together a really good three song thing without I, without getting them in the middle. You know I, what I mean? I picked the the grain, buck fifty, and mighty healthy. Um, which mm. is kind of like right after the start of the thing. I just feel like uh some of the samples that were used, um, again, I think you made a great point about taking it back to the old school. Um, there are some really classic, classic samples used here, but to amazing effect, nothing that feels like uh, boring or overdone. And so I know in, in my Supreme Clientele listening, that song sequences, I always feel like great albums have great three to four song sequences totally yeah absolutely yeah. Where it's like, absolutely. Oh, oh my god oh, oh, oh. yeah the way they build on each other and the way like it's like he that doesn't need to be said because i just said, said it, it kind of thing is right. like really important mm-hmm. absolutely so you're going one two three nate uh it's two it's, it's two, two three four, four. technically two, but two, three, yeah, four. yeah i am <laughs> i even uh, like the intro though yeah, the i was gonna intro, say the intro is yeah funny yeah, um, it's a that '70s cartoon Mighty Mouse type of thing. I'm a sucker for that, you know. Yeah. It just reminds me of MF Doom, you know. Like, yeah. um, love that stuff. But I just I could do without the skits, even though to Nate's point, I think they're memorable. I think it sort of just breaks up the sort of flow of the album, though. Like, just fucking go into it, just like every other line goes into every other line. Yeah, I think we're still coming out of the skit era at this point. I think there was <laughs> there was some unspoken mandate that you just had to have a certain amount of skits to make it. Yeah, an album. seventy-four minutes on the disc, and when you give people an assignment, they're like, "Make yeah. an album that's this long." That's yeah, what uh-huh. you get. So yeah, it was a very weird time. I yeah, mean, it, there's the skit and an outro. I mean, come on, I know those both needed. Totally. Yeah. Pick um, one. So yeah, <laughs> it, it, Dave, if you had to to pick a a, a quote unquote skip, then you're going. You're going skits. I'm gonna go skits or Wu Banga because um, just Jizza strikes me so weird on that song. His that's, voice sounds that's interesting. So, I, I've, you know, we he, talked a lot about favorite. this album, Dave, and I like. I'm glad you like. <laughs> you're breaking out some fresh takes. I didn't know that you uh, you weren't feeling Jizza on this. Is very interesting to me. He said something like "digi stance," and it just sounds like why yeah. does like everybody has like a hundred dollar microphone and he has like the thousand dollar microphone. It okay. just sounds weird. Okay, I don't know. interesting. I don't know. Okay, I have to re-listen to that. That's fair. Um, I guess the only thing I would say is is the Clyde Smith. I think it would have been cool at about forty five seconds, not two, <laughs> and, not two and a half minute of chopped and screwed. I um, know. Uh, bargaining, but with that said, Nate, it's it's it good for that genre. It's just it's just funny. It's yeah, funny yeah. and memorable, and like 
that's why I think like this album is about where he lived and where he was from. And like, it's Mm -hmm. the neighborhood characters. It's like, that's what makes up. That's what makes a neighborhood a neighborhood. It's not buildings. Yeah. It's people. Right. Right. Uh, My skipper is at times to be completely honest. uh, Shershela ghost. Okay. Yeah. I was not always in the mood for that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They tried to freak me, but it was too nasty. Yeah. But I agree with you, Nate. I think that one actually kind of doesn't fit. Yeah. You know, it's like now we're in the club. Yeah, yeah right, we right. made it. We I want to be, be on the I want to be on the rooftop. I want to yeah. be in the gutter. I want to be, you yeah. know, I want to be in Africa. Right, right. I want to be in the like the, the weird visual plane where these lyrics are intersecting and making sense. Like yeah. now we're I'm just yeah. like, we're in the club, no. like with you, God. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Put on a rough rider. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Uh yeah, I guess I, I would have to say uh, Wu Bang and not necessarily my favorite, but I feel like um, I like the, the beat, but just, it's just the placement of songs in general on this album is another reason why it's so great. And even uh-huh. when things I don't necessarily love as much as others, everything is properly placed. We talked quite a bit about Wu Tang Forever and how that was bloated and, and oddly arranged with, with weird skits and things. I think I feel like everything on this record falls into place. I agree. Yeah. I mean, and and I think that's part of what makes it so great. And I, I also think, and I think I might've said this on last week's episode. So apologies if I'm repeating myself, it starts out more abstract and then it gets to be more like classic ghost storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't, mm-hmm. yeah. st- he doesn't stay in that mindset. Like I'll just keep calling it for the sake of argument for this second, the popcorn mindset yeah. the whole time. Uh, yeah. Eventually yeah. you have to put butter and salt on it. And yeah, eat yeah. it right. Make it's it like, it, yeah, you can't, you can't like, always be bursting right so well i mean <laughs> maybe less less said on that the better uh, I can't, but <laughs> it's just uh eventually it kind of calms down is i guess what i'm trying to say and that's part of what pacing and sequencing yes. an album is about yes. it's like totally I, I if you're making a mix like are you starting low and building up or are you starting high and falling down and right. i think yeah. with in terms of abstractness it gets more conceivable for normal people as you go further down the road. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. And and also it, it kind of starts fast. Yes. Yeah, you oh, know what yeah. I mean? Like the, yeah. the intro and nutmeg really start off fast and there's like an energy there. And also let's let's give uh props for Ghost um, along with Doom really introducing the superhero aesthetic, like pre-Marvel mm-hmm. universe. Yep. Totally. He was Tony Stark he was Tony long Starks. before Robert Downey was. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Um, so, you know, very, very much ahead of its time. Um, let's talk about lasting impact. I mean, there's there's obviously everybody uh, who has come along in the last 20 years has been touched by um, Bronson has made a, a low key fortune, as has uh, West Side Gun. But um, what are what are some of the other like long term impacts of Supreme clientele? I just think it gave smart wordy rappers the permission to go there mm. and like thank mm-hmm. god yeah. that's that's yeah. the kind of music that i like yeah that's what we're here to celebrate that's what we it's like uh the more i do the show and the more i encounter all the kind of like underground rap luminaries that we have the more i realize the people who are most successful artistically perhaps not monetarily mm-hmm. are the ones who realize there's no rules yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. it's like mm-hmm. you yeah. can do whatever the fuck you want and like Sometimes it will be successful and sometimes it won't be as successful. But if you're yourself, 
to your fullest extent and you mm -hmm. just make the kind of music that you think is relevant and needed in the world, mm -hmm. then you will have made great art. And this is an example of someone doing that with the backing of a great producer and a team and a label and really just making something an all-time classic by breaking every preconceived notion and realizing there are no rules and he could say whatever the fuck he wanted. And thank God he did. Absolutely. Totally. Absolutely. Dave, long-term impacts of Supreme clientele. I think um, obviously the um, him just being so abstract and, and the energy of this album kind of proves that you can do whatever the fuck you want to Nate's point. Um, and to your earlier point as well, I mean, you know, all the spawns that came from this album. If you, if you look back and if you remove this and omit it from Ghostface's catalog, he still has a fucking wonderful career. Absolutely. But this, Absolutely. I mean, this one, I think, really defines him and puts him way over the top. And you can, you can see it reverberate now, like you're saying, West Side Guns fucking career. I mean, they, they have a song called 94 Ghost Shit. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> Supreme Blind Tell. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. What about yeah. you? Yeah, I feel like um, as a rapper and somebody who kind of pays attention to the evolution of, of rapping and how that happens, um, Supreme Clientele is incredibly influential in the sense that um, vivid wordplay and like street life come together in this way that they hadn't necessarily before. And I think uh, that created a whole vortex of a lot of rappers to pour themselves through. It's kind of like, you know, I don't think Rock Marciano necessarily sounds like Ghostface, but he exists in the rift that Supreme Clientele yeah. opens up, right? It's like if you yeah. slowed everything way down and you made yeah. it more pimpy. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Still, still with a very uh, view Wisconsin on like the imagery. Yeah, totally. You don't totally. just say things; you just give them a little flair. You, yeah, you yeah. Just you describe them more. Um, uh, theoretically sounds stupid but i think you guys know what i mean like yeah, yeah, you get yeah. at the essence of the thing without saying like it's it's a car it has four tires yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you totally. know what i mean it's totally. like it's a ride yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's still smoky it's still street it's fur coats you know what i mean yeah, yeah. but it's just when people see the example and i think rap works like this every time people go oh that works let me let me try this but what's amazing about this record and why it's truly influential sometimes people glom on to what works because somebody's making money doing it Mm -hmm. So I think rappers spent 15, 20 years copying Jay-Z because whatever he did enriched himself and it appeared to be like, oh, I can do that. I think with Supreme Clientele, you had to have loved rap to begin with. Um, and then this kind of just pulled your coat to like, oh, shit, it's it's absolutely wide open what you can do with beats, what you can do with rhymes. Mm -hmm. And I feel mm -hmm. like we're going to continue to see that evolution. What I'm looking forward to, and I'm not one of these like, oh, I wish Ghost would do it again um i'm looking for like it's mid 20 plus years what is that what will be the next thing well hasn't what, he teased supreme clientele too oh did he on the on the, the verses this is a little mean but it's kind of like how the democrats use abortion as a fundraising thing <laughs> oh, rather man. than just making oh, it man. a law Nate, like, Nate, you know, doesn't Nate, he have on, to come keep on. telling us that someday we're gonna get supreme clientele <laughs> totally, too, just totally. to keep people engaged right supreme court too yeah saying it but it's obviously on my mind for different well, reasons but it's I, like and Ray did I was gonna say too and did not embarrass himself. It's a right. good record. It is, it, and it is. captured it is. the essence of what made right. the original record great, but it's not as great. But it's totally. a good record that makes totally. that that was not embarrassing. And like that's a huge accomplishment with these late in the game rap sequels. So totally. I totally. mean, I I wish he would. I wish he would too. <laughs> I think I wish he motherfucker would. <laughs> hearing I think the way I want his, that. hearing the way his voice has aged, though, maybe not a good idea. 
it's interesting because I'm just going to steal your term, Dave. Like, I don't think it could possibly be as ballistic, <laughs> but what would it be? Like, uh, is there a way right. to do yeah, this yeah, as yeah. like a car album where yeah, it's okay. like a That's oh, what that would, that would slow, be. slowly roiling braise of interesting ideas that like he cooks up rather than this firework insanity? Like, totally. <laughs> uh, yeah, possi- I, I possibly, would be here for that. Yeah. Possibly, I, I think of it as, uh, you know, as, as a, a ball player ages, a basketball player, you develop the outside shot. You know what I mean? Like everything isn't like a hundred miles per hour. Right, the older right. you get, you got to get that mid range. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think in Ghost Evolution, somewhere around Pretty Tony, he's like, oh, I got a mid range. You know what I mean? Like I'll yeah, just, yeah. you know, it's like Jada Kiss. These kind of he started mining his uh, emotional palette a little bit more. Yeah. 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 The, all that I got is you, and the hit you with the strap, totally, and stuff totally. like that. It's like yeah. Ghost. Ghost has fucking intense emotional songs. That yeah, are absolutely. Like, yeah. A, you know, a whole I, different gear. I did feel like Ghost, I mean, sort of did a return to form with the fish scale era too. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? So for sure. It's like if he already did that, like what what's this gonna be like? Right. Yeah, it's it's really tough, I think, uh, for older rappers who haven't been on a clip, you know what I mean, of of like making stuff. The the person who I would have the most faith in of the kind of woo uh starting team would be like meth. Meth has verses on somebody's stuff every year. Yeah, like, yeah, even though he's like our Good Morning America shit now, like, totally. He still he's sounds still, great. Yeah, he still sounds like himself. His voice is still mm-hmm. intact. So uh, sharp. Yeah. Well, that that is another thing for another day. Can we get one great meth album? Um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, it's an amazing album. It's a groundbreaking album. It's an album that we like a lot. Everyone, we love it. <laughs> we love it. Unabashed love. Uh, more than excommunicating Dave for saying the guest verses are not good and just <laughs> we'll do it for you. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, it's a it's a work of art. I know yeah, we we yeah, say yeah, that yeah, a lot, but I right. think that a lot about a lot of rap albums. That's why I make a podcast about it and devote my life to learning about it. You know, it's yeah. like this yeah. is one of the ones where it really totally. matters. Like. If, mm-hmm. if it wasn't for this, we wouldn't be here. I like fully believe that. Yeah, yeah. I would have I would have tapped out of that for a long time ago. Um, so thank you to Ghostface for uh making a classic and everybody involved with that. And now we want to throw to uh our interview uh with Sasha Ferrer Jones. Uh Dave and I were not present for this one. Unfortunately. But Nate, Nate, you were present. Uh we'll check in with you on the other side. Let's all listen to this interview. Sasha Fair Jones, Dad Rock, Dad, Dad, <laughs> Dad, Dad Bob Rap Pop. Dadbod Rap Pod. Every week we talk to people moving and shaping and sometimes describing hip-hop and music culture. This week is no different. We are here with Sasha Frere Jones, um, an incredible writer and music critic and musician um, and uh, someone I really look up to and very pleased to speak to this week about Supreme Clientele, the incredible Ghostface Killer record. Sasha, how you doing? 
I'm well. Thank you so much, Nate. I'm glad to be here. All right. Um, so you kind of rose up on our board of people. We wanted to talk about this record in particular because you wrote a piece in the New Yorker called Ghosts World in uh, 2006. And it was around the time of Fish Scale, um, which is I kind of agree yeah. with your review is a very, very good ghost face record. But in some ways, uh, it's no client. It's no supreme clientele and nothing else is. So can you talk to us a little bit about your relationship with supreme clientele and like how it's kind of fit into your understanding of music yeah i mean i have um i have sort of a long weird relationship with wu-tang um there's some fun stories i can tell which i probably should tell now because when else would i tell my let's do it my wu stories um but i don't remember they became First thing I did actually that um, I can send you the PDF there in like 99 or 97, I did a long primer for the the wire by the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, and that was back, you know, when I did the, you know, the Timbaland stuff. And this is very early in, in my writing career. And I was mostly just a guy in a band and I didn't know if I was going to, what I was going to do with writing. Um, but there weren't that many people around. I know that sounds insane, but there weren't that many people around to write about these uh topics for sort of fancy pants places and i stumbled into it um very unplanned very very unplanned um but because I, I certainly don't think that i know more about any of these things than anyone else i just happened to end up in a certain position um and like i visited timbaland a bunch of times and that was just sort of luck really um not that many, i mean it it's weird to think we're talking about 25 years ago but it's it, I can't even tell you, you know, but like, I can't even tell you how different it was. Right. Um, there just weren't, we didn't really have an internet exactly. And, and people weren't, there was still huge resistance at places like the New York times, New York, and all these other places to writing about stuff, which seems so strange now, but it's, yeah. I got to tell you, it's true anyway. And I'm not trying to complain. I'm just like, that's the, that's, that's the context. So anyway, we're in, yeah. So I just, I was the guy who was like, sure. Yeah. I'll write about these things. Um, Everyone I know loves this stuff. Um, didn't feel particularly special or weird. I just, you know, was able to do it. And so after I did did that, uh, the the primer, I don't know, somehow the RZA just became aware of me. And then he asked me to write a bio for something, maybe the Bobby Digital record. I'm, I'm not, I think actually it might've been like a, a Killer Bees or like a, okay. a American Cream Team. I don't know what, what the fuck it was, but it was something. <laughs> And, and there was the, uh, the office used to be in sort of the garment district. I think that was the official 36 chamber studio or his studio. I don't pretend to know. And it was a really funny, um, it might've been for Tommy boy, maybe. Wait, what uh, label though? Bobby Digital on... or something around that. That makes sense. Was, was that like V2? Was he on, on V2 for that record or something? That sounds right to me. I don't know. Yeah. I can look. Doesn't matter. So I, I went there and I showed up and uh, two of the guys from the cream team were there playing chess. The uh, the drink machine only had like apple juice. There was no alcohol or weed there. I was very impressed by that. Um, but the RZA was nowhere to be seen. And I waited around for like four hours. He kept texting or uh, did we have Whatever texting? We did I don't know. Back maybe then. Was, yeah, calling his maybe he was or calling from pay phones. <laughs> didn't show up. Um, I came back the next day, same thing, couple of hours, didn't show up. Um, but he was very polite, paid me, even though I didn't write it, um, 
So I kind of like had a warm feeling about the Wu situation because I've been through a lot of worse things with sure. reporting. And I, and I was like, I love the Wu. Um, and, and everybody did. And but Ghostface was always the guy who sort of I mean, I love them all. And, and some, you know, I don't really rank things or pick favorites, but uh, and I actively sort of avoid doing that for a whole bunch of other reasons that are not relevant to our here today. But uh, I was I've actually been on a method man kick, I, I think. I mean, it's insane how many good MCs are in this group, and and there, there can be nothing more <laughs> obvious than praising the Wu Tang Clan. But if you haven't honestly, delved into any recent Killer Priest stuff, I can send you some albums you should really listen to. He's on an insane run right now, which is he's, one oh, of I'd my love favorites to that. at the moment. Yeah, I reviewed one of them for Spin Heavy. What was what's it called? Heavy something? Heavy Mental. Yeah, I reviewed yeah. that one. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so. But Ghost always, I don't know. He, I mean, I think it was it was Method Man and Ghostface that really sort of stuck in my mind, although, you know, I go through phases. And anyway, Supreme Clientele, um, that was, I don't know. It's funny, I just listened to it. And I have the same reaction every time, which is kind of like, how did they get, not how did they get away with this, because things were less supervised i mean you've still got all of this money in the music business because of the cd boom so there's tons of money for these insane projects that like one a&r guy green lights and then he's constantly holding back the suits but like it doesn't really matter because everyone's just hemorrhaging money so like okay if, if you know if one of the woo projects is 20 30 000, nobody fucking cares because they haven't actually spent that much on them i'm not that i have any idea what anyone spent on these records but i'm not i'm not imagining it was a lot of money um, and so Supreme Clientele comes out at this moment where we've got huge rap hits, like big fucking rap hits. Everyone is now comfortable with the idea of rap as popular music. Okay. Nobody's that scared anymore. Everyone, we, we, we got Snoop. We have all this stuff happening. Eminem's in the picture. Like, I forget exactly. What is this? 2000, 2001. When, when this come out? Right. So, okay. We've got, we've got a lot of stars and, and, and. And the market fear is is dying down, although that took longer than anyone would have thought. I, mm-hmm. I would have thought. And so they they come out of the gate like it starts with this, you know, this sample of I don't know what cartoon or movie that is, because I, I don't really know that much about Iron Man. That's not something I followed. But you've got this old, weird sample that used to be pretty common on records like this. But yeah, that kind of yeah. takes you off. And then you have Nutmeg, which is one of the greatest opening tracks of all time because it says beyond any shadow of a doubt if you were hoping to like get your buddies together and like have a party to this record like you're you're gonna you're i mean maybe you will have a party i guess at my <laughs> house but like you're not gonna have a certain kind of party because it's like absolutely like a hookless just like fucking 90 on on on, on route 80 he's just like these sentence fragments the vivid laser eye guy, just all of this shit piling up one after another, like incredible vocal performance, beautifully mm-hmm. engineered too. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like that it was fancily engineered. It's just like the voice is super loud. Mm-hmm. It's got that, that crunchy kind of RZA 8-bit thing in the middle, 16-bit, I don't even know. Um, but it's very, very sort of both dirty and clean. And he and he's just charging at you, saying these words. And like at no point in that song, do they give you anything to hang on to? Like, not that it has to be about something, but rap, rap, 
until records like this, like usually songs were about things. Even if it was something dumb, mm-hmm. like you'd be insulting, you'd be bra- even EPMD, like you'd be bragging and boasting or something. Yep. Like rapping this, about this rapping, is, very common. In right, that exactly. Yeah. You'd be like, you know, take going after someone else and you know talking about how UTFO or weird or some shit. Um, <laughs> but like all of that is gone. Like there's just there's what is this fucking song about? Not even about nutmeg. <laughs> Like it's not about anything. <laughs> That's so funny. It's I would I would as as a nerd now going I would be it's about language, right? It's about uh vivid imagery, but I don't really I don't think they intellectualized it. I think it's about slick talk, really. It's well, just Ghostface going for it. I think it's I I I see most I see this record especially through the lens of, of playing music and I think I mean, I think it's very intellectualized at the level of of how carefully he writes, but also, you know, he he approaches this very much like a musician and people, I think, get tired of hearing the jazz thing over and over. And I understand that because rap isn't jazz. That said, he's got a bunch of rhymes that he's been carrying around. Um, He, you know, RZA puts on the beat, unless this is mathematics. I don't remember who did this one. Um, I think it's RZA. Puts up the beat and he just goes in the same way that like if you walk into a certain kind of session and you know and there there aren't that many ground rules and you don't know what you're doing your first take you will probably just you know play and 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 see what happens and this whole record has that feeling of first or second take like let's go and on this one he just had a lot of lyrics that he liked and they just went together and like that that was it that there was no reason to to over conceptualize it um yeah Although I think his, I mean, the rhymes within themselves are so carefully put together. And I think all those little scraps mean something, but it's not like he had it. the idea, you know, the word about is kind of like a curse when you're talking around music because music isn't about anything really. And and especially when it comes to the Wu-Tang Clan, like, although Vivid Laser Eye Guy, like pretty good way to describing himself since he, he's so good at mentioning um, and noticing, but you've got, you know, you've got, nutmeg crazy way to begin this record yes absurd. but it also and I, does I have think it it defines the record because people are like oh supreme clientele the record where ghostface doesn't make sense or where it's everything is this wacky wordplay but that's not really what the record no, is and the, once you get and into it i think is in fact if if he has an sort of an mtv hit or a pop hit of any kind it's on this record it's sure. it's sure Sheila ghost yeah. and um a great you got appearance really fucking great yeah run right through it um <laughs> and then apollo kids you know uh and mighty healthy like absolute just sort of like that sort of woo like over caffeinated mm-hmm. coked out like what is say, going yeah. on like <laughs> a little like, stronger than caffeine but yeah yeah exactly but that that sense of like you can feel like Rizza chopping up the sample and then being like, okay, fuck it. And like, instead of actually putting together a song, which sometimes he would put together something more um, layered, like, you know, Cream or something, this this album has that like, okay, I've got one or two sounds. Okay, go. Yep. And then it just like blasts out of the, it just, that's it. They go. Yep. In like such he gets a those great way. In gets, such a great way. Before it gets, before it devolves a little and becomes lazy. It's like everyone is going maximum effort here. It's it's there's nothing lazy about it. And it has it has the feeling of almost like early rock and roll in that the sounds are all really beautifully put together. I don't know what that's about. I think it's a combination of like 
very kind of like mid-fi samples and like very beautifully recorded vocals, which is one of my favorite things about major label rap records from this period is you've got yeah. engineers who came in a very different time doing R&B and shit in the 80s where like there was a really high bar for the technical excellence. And then these guys come into the studio and half the time, you know, like it's like the story that I, when I found out about how the drums for Sacre MCs were done, there's a whole book that never came out and I have to do something here. I'll give you one of these stories now, maybe my Please. favorite, but Rod, Rod Way, the, the studio, the guy from Green Street who um, engineered Sacre MCs, the reason the drums have that incredible sound is that there was a band, I think they were called Anvil. I might okay. be wrong. He was, they were trying to chase Back in Black. They were trying to get the drum sounds from Back in Black. And so he had this whole chain of delays set up. So he had those drum sounds up and then Run DMC came in and, and he was like, what are you, what do you, you just have a drum machine? That's it. And so he put it through that, um, the, the drum, the chain of delays that was set wow. up for this drum set, which is why the, it sounds so fucking cool. Um, yeah. But he absolutely was not in like, I love that overlap. Like he wasn't dying to do a rap record or even thinking that much about it. It happened to be what was there. Right. So people who are trained on jazz or R&B and blues, whatever they're trained on, end up in a situation where somebody's walking in with a drum machine. And and so, and, but, you know, by 2000, obviously people know what rap is. I'm, I'm sure the engineers knew what they were doing, but, um, or I, I mean that they were familiar with rap, but, you know, you've got this really, you know, you've got mics in a situation that are, they've been put together around pop and jazz singers. So you're recording these guys and really beautiful fidelity, but they're also just charging ahead with this crazy, crunchy digital nonsense under them. And <laughs> and that sense of momentum is, momentum is the one word. If you had to cut all of this, which I wouldn't blame you, and, and just use one word, like <laughs> this album just like, just goes, it goes so fucking hard. Yeah. And, and, and it's impossible in this, in this, in the Wu universe, the, the, were the Wu Cinematic Universe to pick favorites because even as much as I love this, I, I find myself being incredibly happy when like, oh, here's Raekwon. Like, okay, I want to hear that voice. And then I hear it's someone nice else's voice. It's nice to have voice. some then, relief uh, from the- Yeah, then I think about the people I miss and I'm like, oh, this could have some more ODB. I think he's still alive at this point. Um, and, but, but in terms of it, um, I mean, the skits are, I forgot the whole skit about, you know, who they wanted to sleep with i was yes. like oh that doesn't that doesn't wear well at all it doesn't but the song and, they're uh, playing in the background of it is so great it's like you can focus on that as i did today what i listened they, to it backwards what, because i've listened to it forward so many times and i ended up around there right before we had to hop on and what I, are they playing in the background it's like uh it's like an old r&b song and like it's like rain rain go away i don't know exactly which song it is i have to look it up uh in a minute but um yeah yeah, the, uh, it's very interesting that in the skits, so in the world of like, you know, Stapleton, I would imagine Ghost had moved out of Stapleton by this time, but the, the album kind of takes place in Stapleton and Park Hill. Uh, they're always playing R&B. They're not playing rap behind them. When they're, oh, you yeah, know, he Ghost, loves this the skits, Ghost he is still loves, on yeah. the corner. They make rap, but Ghost lives an R&B life. He's a 70s guy. Yeah, he loves the Dells, Delphonics. He's always... You know, he's talking about it, rapping over it. It's always Teddy Pendergrass. Um, yeah. I love that about about him. Um, and and there's an interesting thing about I don't know at what point I did this. Re I think when I did review the the W, 
or the woo what is it what's that album called after uh, oh was it iron flag Wait iron flag is uh around at some at some point I, I just i look at some point i looked up the um the sales statistics and wu-tang forever because it was a double cd you know was registered as selling more but like there are no really big selling wu-tang records they're right. very well known famous and beloved but they never there aren't that many hits there are barely really any hits you right. know um the best known records have sold pretty well and maybe at this point you know 20 years later they've sold a bit more but they were all they've always been like a name that people love but they're not really a commercial force um right and and yet they have t-shirts in target and many people wear right. their iconography and are familiar with them if they're not familiar with the music they're i'm a, sure that we wear i hate to use that word like they're probably right. bigger than ever and they're much bigger than their sales profile would lead you to believe but the sheer volume right. of them and the Riz's genius to place them on different labels and to spread them out in the way that he did kind of leads yeah, they, to this they, much bigger cultural footprint it's like what's that red man line more seeds than um, <laughs> ODB <laughs> your yeah. weed has more seeds than ODB <laughs> uh, yeah no they, they, they were smart enough to have a cool logo they had the kung. They have so many different things that make them appeal. Like they're a very easy band to love. Without you, don't have to prove that you've listened to them. You can throw on a right. shirt and right. and I don't know, say a couple of words, and and they are kind of like action action figures that you can love from afar. And it's it's such a sprawling. It is actually kind of like a cinematic universe. Um, but I also I experienced them like from I remember being in rock and soul. I was old enough that I remember this very clearly the day that Protect Your Neck came in. And it's strange that on the album, they kind of reproduced the very the very legitimate reaction that single got, which was I used to stand there and, you know, I'd wander in and there were, especially at Rock and Soul, there was sort of like people would be standing around and singles would be played and people would weigh in. And that was just the, a single that people were like, what the fuck? Yeah, and like, I've never heard anything like this. I have to have <clears> this. I, I I was I just remember it so clearly, and then I remember coming in, and soon after that, the album came out, and you know, these guys where you couldn't see their faces were on the cover, and I was just like, "Well, we haven't had anything like this. What are the what's what are these guys doing? What yeah. Wu Tang is just Wu Tang. Like it 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 you know obviously you've got like the Mariah collaboration. That's you know my my stepdaughter knows that old dirty verse. Yeah. Um, but like mostly it just it stayed where it was. It did it didn't go anywhere. And that's that's really interesting too that you know it feels a little bit and and also like there weren't that it's not like the Velvet Underground where you've got a band that a million people wanted to imitate and there's nothing quite like it. It's more like nobody really tried to imitate the Woo, not really. Like nobody, yeah. it, it's it's just so much itself and it's so especially Ghost, like it's so over the top impressive in terms of 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 the of the writing and the delivery and like. No one has really ever copied Ghost. I mean, I know that, you know, what's his name? Um, Action Bronson. Action Bronson borrowed way too much from him. But at the end of the day, like, he pulled it back and ended up, you know, being his own kind of, like, good nature. I I actually quite like him, but, you know, it it was funny when he was trying to say that he hadn't borrowed anything from Ghostface. I was like... He painted himself into a corner with that. I was like, that's that's like, that's like you're caught coming out of the... The, the convenience store with 20 
500 fireballs. It's like, no, no, I came in with these. No, no, I had these. Already. It's like, you, you don't sound like Ghostface. Like you picked the most unique rapper to rip off. Right. And you just happened right. to end up with that flow and the... And, yeah. Sure, sure and that, you did, uh, my guy. Surrealist flair and that set of references and that 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 tone of voice. Um, it's sort of like ripping off MF Doom again. Like if you were dumb enough to do that, and I and that, on that one, I don't think anyone has. But like if you did that, you get caught red-handed like that because right. there's the voice and the flow are a thousand percent his his alone. So totally. Um, um, in your 2006 new yorker piece on fish scale you your lead is built around you having a photo of ghosts from the supreme clientele uh kind of promo run oh yeah and gripping that, what that i always painting. call a frank sinatra mic i'm sure there's a real name yeah, for yeah, it. yeah um can you talk like one i'm really curious just personally do you still have that photo and two can I you talk it's... a little bit about the 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 visual thing of ghost face and this record it seems to have resonated with you like what what is it about this time and that campaign that kind of spoke to you that was again you know so you got the major label you got this weird and so there's an art department that like they're really into the chrome font that they had and someone's like i'm going to do a retro thing which actually makes no particular sense for this Agreed. record but you know yes. they yes. went in and they made it looks great and i remember like it used to have a silver inset in the jewel case that's one and, of my favorite um, things about it i haven't kept many of my cds but i've always kept that one and the, the silver you know, uh, inlay is so cool yeah it, it's it's up there with the the purple of, of the raekwon and uh, right. an interesting story about the piece is Please. that he he so richard uh i'm pretty sure no no it wasn't richard abaddon because abaddon was i think at that point dead but it was another um was it steve it's a British photographer who I, I got along with. I got pretty involved in the artwork for most of the pieces just because I was annoying and intrusive and I had ideas and they, and, and they, you know, they liked the input. I wasn't involved in this shoot, but I, uh, I heard afterwards from the photographer that um, they were putting ghost in these clothes that he wasn't a hundred percent digging. Like he's wearing kind of a, uh, like a, a tweed thing and a hat that wasn't quite like him. And and his, you know, whoever he brought was complaining and he, and and kind of like disrupting the situation, which would be very woo, um, yeah. actually pretty low on the woo on the woo chaos scale. <laughs> but, uh, there was some tension, and apparently he turned around and said, "Like, shut the fuck up! It's the New Yorker." And, and then, <laughs> uh, That's amazing. I, it may be apocryphal, but I, I I think it was Steve Pike. I think was the photographer. Maybe I, um, we'll have to look that up. But uh, yeah, he told me that, sure. and I like. And I remember that the uh, the pictures sort of split between two negatives, so it's kind of like looks like it's been pasted back together. It's a great, great, great picture, and I, I love that. Uh, I I know you said you don't like to rank things, and I'm not going to make you. Uh, but I am curious. Uh, do you think that Supreme Clientele, like, is it unique among Wu Tang things in your estimation? Is it unique among hip hop albums at large? Is there something, does it have a je ne sais quoi to it that, is there something about it that makes it special to you? Yeah. I mean, if I don't, if I say I don't, I, do, I, do, I don't like ranking things, but that's because I'm, in some ways, it's another form of sobriety for me. Like I, I used to love ranking things and it, it led to a place psychologically and, and, spiritually that i think is a bad place okay but of course i'm always wanting i think as long as you throw away your ranking it can be useful 
That's um, interesting. And with Wu-Tang records, because there's so many fucking Wu-Tang records, like it's not a bad idea to have somebody tell you like, okay, start with these 18 records and then you can move on. Um, yeah, I think, I think it doesn't have necessarily the best verses or beats or anything like that, but there is something about how alive I think the reason I would tell somebody to start with this record, possibly, if not like the first album or whatever, I don't know, um, is that, and I wouldn't say something like to Cal, which I also love, is because it just, it has th this, this sense of, it's insane how much energy is captured on this record. It's mm -hmm. insane how every song feels like they're having the best time. Uh, everything is just sonically perfect. Nothing really goes on too long. Nothing really fails. Like there's not there's no real bummer on here. I mean, the skits right. are sort of take them or leave them. But actually, the crackhead skit is kind of interesting. I think it's actually pretty so, funny. <laughs> and the, the, also the, the negotiation the, they have with them, like it's it's actually very sort of loving this it exchange is. they have. Yeah. I don't I don't know how staged or real it is. I assume yeah. it's pretty staged. The, but, um, the second the penultimate track being the "My Name Is Knuckles" guy too. Like I'm a big right. skit skipper. I listen to the skits once on a record and then never again. Right. And I actually listen to most of these skits. I think they're fairly well done for what they are. Oh, and they Wu -Tang put you in the are, world. Yeah, Wu Tang skits are, I are fascinating because they're so. I mean, you know, the skits on the first album are the greatest skits ever recorded. Um, yeah. They're so unbelievably disturbing and weird that like, <laughs> like make it, it. They're really after that. Nobody. Thirteen-year-old really, me uh, thought the torture skit was probably the funniest, most interesting, most horrifying thing I'd ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I well, I couldn't. I wasn't that young, but I, I, I definitely was thinking like, okay. As as with a lot of the Wu thing, I'm like, how did they? How did the? How did the record company like who? cleared the way for them. I don't know if it was right. Steve at loud, but like somebody made it okay for them to be who they were. And remember a funny thing is there was that brief moment of horror rap where you had mm -hmm. the grave diggers mm -hmm. and children of the corn and whoever the hell else that, you know, there was this idea for a moment that rap would be scary. And that's mm -hmm. what I thought the artwork on the Wu-Tang record was this cheesy horror rap thing. And like Onyx was out there. There was a weird sort of like cheesy and I didn't really like Onyx. And there was like a cheesy kind of like yelling rap moment. And it was very, right, you know, so. the Timberlands and like it was kind of hard to see what went with what and where things were going. And I think that's why now that's why I reacted a little bit funny to the artwork on the cover because I it 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 seemed really sort of weird and phony and also i'd never seen a rap album where you couldn't see somebody's face mm -hmm. so i didn't understand what was up with that now i think it looks really cool because i love them but anyway um i do think supreme clientele is um i think i think it feels you know like there's nothing between them and the listener that they're just like flat out like just like charging right into your ear. It's a very, it's mixed in a very kind of high mid-rangey way. It's very, I know I keep talking about the mixing, the engineering, but it is, it's made in a way that everything really crackles and like mm -hmm. nothing's very complicated. It's sort of like the Buzzcocks, you know, singles going steady oh, or something. Really it's just like, yeah, it just, it hits you and like, and you know, there's, there's no huge posse track really. There's no, you know, it just, I don't know. It just, it still feels completely, um as as sort of wired as it did the day that i first heard it and you know i i just love records that make me my favorite reaction to music is is what 
Like, yeah. <laughs> like what yeah. made you, what was going on that this was the set of things you put together? Like sometimes, right. sometimes, you know, you, you have a song where you can, okay, so Biggie dies, Puffy's like, let's use the police sample. Okay, that makes sense to me. And actually right. turned out pretty great. I don't have to ask what, I, I get it. I get what happened there and I understand um, what's going on. This record is not like that. This record is like- Well, Ghostface famously says Biggie died, then they came out with Biggie Fries. So it's it's just as absurd right. as that, as that and act nonsensical, but kind of makes you think. Um, you know, is, why, what, the term why I, would... I'm, I'm using is it's so audacious, right? It's just like, it's so audacious to- remove the sentences from meaning it's so audacious to just back right. that record in the main mix and let us hear it it's just it, it there's just so many choices that are so bold and it's a uh, it's just it, it's just swagger on a record in a way that it kind of doesn't come back like you talk a lot about the first generation of woo solo records you don't there's not huge public narrative about the second round of woo solo records and this is the one that sets apart right. from the group um sasha thank you so much for sharing your perspective oh, sure. on this amazing record um great stories and we really appreciate my pleasure um your take on it i would like to recommend your Substack to our more adventurous listeners um can you tell oh, us yes. a little bit about uh what you're doing with that project and kind of i i think of it as just kind of a recommendation engine for some fairly left field music but if i'm mischaracterizing it please tell me what is it no 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 that's that's um that's that's a fine way to put it. I mean, actually, you're the first person to ask me what I think I'm doing with it. And it's <laughs> actually exactly what I've been doing since 2003. Um, and amazingly, that blog is still up at sfj.abstractdynamics.org. Um, I post photos. The photos are actually a big part of it. Um, okay. And people don't usually mention them, but I started taking photos 20 years ago. And so each oh, post they're all your to, photos. Every single, I think I need to make that more clear. I think every you do, single, to be honest, I consider every single pretty hip to these things, and I just didn't realize it. Yeah, every single post ever has all been my photos. Okay, um, that's really interesting. And uh, and then yeah, I mean there have been some interviews and essays, but in the it's about it's three years old now, and over the course, especially of the pandemic, it it became clear that what I wanted to do because I have you know lots of sort of paid gigs I have to get done what I could do and wanted to do and what people wanted to read was something immediate that was based like recommendations. I call them enthusiasms, but recommendations is fine. And a couple of weeks ago, we started making it um, regular on Mondays, which weirdly had a huge lift because I, I didn't expect this. And I, I think I didn't even, I, I was wrong. I was like, I don't think this is a big idea, a big deal, but it is. And people, a lot of, they're really comforted by it, like happening regularly. Um, I have a weekly podcast. I understand this psychology on both uh, both sides. Yeah, it's now. I, I I'm not going to claim that I understood it, but now I, I get it, and I kind of I like keeping myself honest. So on Sunday night, I've got to if it's not already together, and sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But yeah, it's it's there are. I like to do these longer interviews. There's a a, a, a Swedish guy named Civilist Yavel who I have just interviewed. Um, I like to take some time with those and get people who aren't, I mean, like David Grubbs has been interviewed and so has Taja, but like, you know, I like to go as long as I can and go back and forth. And those are the only ones where they, in those, they do all the artwork and I don't do any of it. Okay. Um, which sometimes they're a little bit like, why do I have to send you four photos? And I'm like, <laughs> 
you can just choose you can whatever you want thing. anything on your phone stock yeah. photos memes anything um yeah. but yeah it's it's the photos i call it i say it's photos and enthusiasms but sometimes okay. there are long longer bits which uh during the pandemic i wrote a couple of longer essays because there was just more time and those have been fewer on the ground but um and the whole thing is on paywall but obviously it's nice if people pay us because it helps um but you know i'm always going to keep it without a paywall awesome well thank you so much for uh for sure some time to sit down with us That was our interview with Sasha Frere Jones. Uh, Dave, why don't you break down for folks who may not be f- familiar with Sasha's work, who he is, and why we wanted to have him for this episode? I mean, just to kind of, just on basic, simple terms, Nate and I have just been long, long time fans of his writing. Um, he is a journalist, and and in this interview, you'll also hear that he was he's a musician, and so um, there, there's a lot to, uh, a lot of insight to be gained. But I mean, just I, I've I have just been a fanboy of his work. Um, specifically with the uh, New Yorker. And he also wrote a wonderful piece on Ghostface, which sort of mm-hmm. sparked the interest for us to bring him on the program. And um, just really glad to get his insight. I mean, he's uh, n- not just regarding rap music, just his writing in general regarding all other genres really, really, um, really touches me um, and has always just like, you know, um, really been moving. So. I'm really glad to get an ear, uh, a moment of of his time and get his ear and really glad to hear um, Nate chop it up with him. Nate, how was that? It was amazing, dude. Like, thank you for uh, doing all the legwork to secure the interview. And like when I'm telling you, like, I milked the shit out of the <laughs> we had oat, we had almond, we had fucking cashew milk. Like, I was just like trying to keep him on the phone. Like, I was just like, this might be the only time we ever get to talk. Yeah. Um, like Dave set up so beautifully, like you guys know, I'm obsessed with the New Yorker and yeah. he, he was the New Yorker's main music critic who covered mm-hmm. kind of popular music, especially urban or whatever, you know, yeah. hip hop, frankly, yeah. and a bunch of other stuff that was big at the time, at a time that was really formative for me when I was like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, I'm going to try to be somebody in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the people I was like, I really like the way that he approaches this. He's very thoughtful. He has good music theory stuff mm-hmm. in his writing but not too wonky or annoying mm-hmm. like and just like it's just a really really good writer and a really really deep thoughtful person who's been through a lot and talks about it very openly um shortly before he was on with us he was on uh, my buddy jason p woodbury's um podcast transmissions which mm-hmm. is also on talk house so uh label mates affiliates of ours and um they talked so much about recovery and mm. uh their spiritual practices and just like it was it was like insane and i was like oh, i kind of want to have like a fun rap conversation with yeah. him like yeah, yeah. Oh, we got that out of our system so um there's a bunch of stuff that didn't make the edit that just really meaningful to me to kind of have discourse with him on and i ended up sending him an email of i think about 20 current rap albums and i, I did the thing i do with anyone who i you know want to impress or care about or want to like be like here we know all the good stuff like here take it from us yeah i was just like 
take this. If you like any of it, let me know what you liked about it and I'll send you 10 more. Totally. You know what I mean? Totally. Like I don't I don't do yeah, that for yeah. just anyone. Like this was a long totally. email. So it was fun for me to put that together. That's and tough. uh yeah, it just um it's fun to talk about Supreme Clientele. He had great takes, he had some interesting stuff I hadn't thought about, and it's just it's just cool, man. It's like, you know, didn't think I'd be chopping it up with someone on that level yeah we started this you know absolutely um and uh i'll be honest as we record this i still haven't hit, heard the interview <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure it's mad enlightening and i like that um you know i'm always been skeptical when non-rap publications would take on rap things because it can be hit or miss right i mean now it's kind of different because all the writer bros are freelance and there's plenty of knowledgeable writers but i, I definitely feel like there was an era where um if i wasn't familiar with the name i'm like is this dream hampton is this, you know what I mean? I'd be like, who is this? And I, I came to know Sasha is one of those names. Like, oh, okay. Seems like he's he's hip to what um what this John was all about, which is not which is not always the case in, yeah. in major publications. Yeah. Um so yeah, that was our Supreme Clientele episode. Thanks to Sasha for coming on. Thanks for uh Nate for holding it down. And uh, you know, you know where to connect with us. We're on Twitter at Dadbod Rap Pod. We're on IG at Dadbod Rap Pod. And you know what, Nate? You're going camping, but me and Dave are going to be lamping on <laughs> Saturday, July 16th. It's Slapbox Live Beat Invitational and Record Swap at the School of Arts and Culture in the heart of East San Jose. If you're in the Bay, if you are Bay adjacent, uh, come on down. It's a free event. Uh, you can learn all about it if you go to uh, Reimagine SJ on Instagram. I got information there. You can get your tickets, which are actually free. Um, it's a free deal. If you came to the East Side Record Swap, similar vibes. We're going to have some record vendors come out. Needle to the Groove is uh, co-presenting uh, our boy Square Wheezy. Wheezmatic to y'all uh, is going to be doing a live beat set along with some friends. So uh, come on out. Dave may give you a mushroom under, <laughs> under the table. Portobello. 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 He's got Can some he new Cremini's. <laughs> um, are you guys going to Slapbox? Yes or no? Put it on the line now with everyone listening. I, I wouldn't Slapbox Dave because I feel like he's quicker than me. He has crazy <laughs> footwork. Watch his footwork. Yeah, I've heard, no, I, I've heard about Dave's basketball prowess and I've, I've never seen it, but people have talked to me in like hushed tones. There's been a couple <laughs> times where the basketball game got kind of heated and you kind of see Dave square up and start looking people up and down and you're like, oh shit. Throw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't want any of that smoke. Um, I'm just happy to be uh, working with Weezy of the Bangers, uh, old friend, and really getting to connect with the local uh, live beat making scene. Yeah, that's super cool. Totally. Um, let me know how it goes. Absolutely. I'll be in the forest. Um, For LeBlanc Fest, right? Le Blanc, yeah, it's like, kind of like a, uh, <laughs> 35 extremely loud people all trying to talk at once and eat as much as we can over a weekend. So hey. yeah, looking forward to it. Always an important part of my calendar and I'm actually taking the whole week off work and oh, nice. go do some other little trips around. So Sick. yeah, kind of a little summer getaway. So that should be good. And uh, yeah, I just think um, I'm sorry. I don't have my glasses. Oh, last thoughts on Supreme clientele. <laughs> Summarizing last you, thoughts on the Supreme Court. Thing. Clarence Thomas is a piece <laughs> of shit. Should have listened to Anita Hill. Yeah. Did not believe women in the nineties. Oh now my god! I like Brit Favre right. more than Brit Kavanaugh. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> that was possible. At any point, um, Supreme clientele is the most important rap record of the last twenty-two years in the sense that. 
the underground lane that exists in that we kind of, uh, this, the, the waters that we swim in, the broth that we swim in was seasoned by <laughs> Supreme I kept Pinto. waiting. I kept waiting. I was, when is Simone going to season everyone's broth? Uh, <laughs> here for it. Just uh, got the miso on deck. What, what about you, Nate? Last thoughts on Supreme Clientele? I think Supreme Clientele is a very special, unique record that kind of acts as like a foundational sacred text for the current vanguard of underground hip hop. And you can't discount Doom's influence as well. Yeah, but the yeah. other really important thing is Supreme Clientele. And we're, we're just lucky that this exists in the form that it does. A lot of weird shit had to happen for it to get to us. Yep. And um, it, I don't know if it can ever be topped or seconded or right, reimagined. Right. It just right. doesn't need to be. It's just it's it's good the way it is. And I just don't feel that way about that many records. Dave, last uh, thoughts um yes it's hard to be topped um it's equal maybe but top probably not and uh just as a longtime listener i'm just happy that it exists and it's something that i can always go back to and i and i've been elated for 20 years over it and uh you know frankly it, it makes everything else look scampy no. <laughs> <laughs> that was so tight oh man oh, um, uh, just so even that i you don't understand right? how long I, I puzzled over shit like that <laughs> Because as a rapper up until that time, I'm sorry, this is the last last. Um, <laughs> as a rapper up until that time, even the earlier Wu Tang stuff had was easier to follow, right? Mm -hmm. um, my man's got bigger dimes, son. Your shit is scampy. It makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense when you put together the context and you kind of think about how it's said. But nobody had taught that crazy with that much confidence. Right. Like I should know mm -hmm. what scampy meant. Right. Like, totally. So scampy is both. Skimpy, skimpy, yeah. and it's made Shrimp out of shrimp. So oh, it's yeah, small. it's it's, it's so genius. Yeah, it's okay, genius. we're all on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's my hot take. Uh, the Wes Anderson film Moonrise Kingdom is mm -hmm. basically child's play. Oh, oh like these, two, these two little, not little kids, old yeah, enough yeah, yeah. to yeah. be starting to think about the yeah. right, opposite right. sex, go off into the woods and kind of oh, set up their own life. And, yeah. Uh, should okay. there be like a like a Wizard of Oz uh, thing where we do Child's Play with Moonlight Kingdom? So, <laughs> oh, that would be dope. The, the yeah. Pink Floyd Wizard of Oz thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, Ghost Anderson. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, a weird thing of like, not that many people want to make art about like the interior lives of children that way. Oh, and okay. Bo yeah, yeah, both yeah. of them approach it from this kind of hopeful, yeah. um, mm -hmm. quaint but yeah. still descriptive yeah, you have yeah. to think about what's going on uh it's a weird it's a weird rap song it's totally. always yeah. been one of dave's favorite songs i love that song it, you know it sounds weird now to say after i just said that it always makes me think of dave when i hear it <laughs> <laughs> but it, when i watched moonrise kingdom i was like only one other thing has ever reminded me of this. giving you that energy that, oh that's that so song. interesting yeah. that is so yeah, interesting it's wholesome. It's wholesome and sentimental, you know, yes. often often an album that is just fucking crazy. Totally. Know? Which is which is a gear that Ghost has. Ghost right. can right. get totally. really totally. homey and sentimental. And when we saw uh, of Mike's and Men, the doc, and you understood kind of what he went through in his home growing mm -hmm. up, right. um, it makes a lot of sense. Like he he has this emotional core that a lot of the other Wu-Tang members don't necessarily have. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's another thing that sets us apart. That's a great. Um, now I got to go watch Moonrise Kingdom again <laughs> without my children. Yes. Weird movie to watch with you your kids. Don't want to watch that with <laughs> yeah. your kids. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, you better never get lost in the forest, goddamn. <laughs> I think Ed Norton's mad. Um, so anyway, we started on Supreme Clientele and got all the way to Moonrise Kingdom. But these are the dots that we connect here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod. What's good, Dad Bod Rap Pod listeners? It's your boy, Dem One, government name, Damone Carter, here to tell you why you should most definitely subscribe to the Dad Bod Rap Pod Patreon. If you're anywhere near my age bracket, you're probably saying to yourself, what the fuck is a Patreon? All right, that's a fair question. Patreon is a platform where we post exclusive content for folks who subscribe. For example, a $5 a month subscription gets you access to Nate LeBlanc's fake radio show, Fly Sporadic, my weekly Spotify playlist series, Dems Gems, Patreon-only album review segments, and so much more. Right now, there is over 90 hours of content on our Patreon just waiting for you to slide through. You can interact with us and other subscribers. It's like a cool-ass members-only club feel without the Twitter weirdos and goofy discourse. So do yourself and us a favor and subscribe to the Dad Bod Rap Pod Patreon. All this fly shit for just $5 a month. Exclusively yours. Go to patreon.com slash dadbodrappod. That's patreon.com slash dadbodrappod. Peace. Downey Island Audio.